Uh, Colossians chapter 1, turn there. We're only going to read the first four verses, and then uh, we'll get into a bit of an overview. Uh, most of tonight will be an overview of the background. So you understand uh, where this was written, when it was written, why it was written, and uh, then we'll look at uh, just some closing thoughts on uh, thanks, uh, thankfulness and faith. But starting with uh, verse 1, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, raise your hand. We'll be glad to get one in your hand. It should be marked. Uh, but Colossians 1, starting with verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now, Paul always emphasizes that his calling is by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother. I'm glad Timothy gets a mention here because, uh, well, it's a great name. Uh, but other than that, uh, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that we get to open this uh, new study tonight. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would just have a great, uh, wonderful impact in our lives. Uh, even if we've read this book a number of times, we pray it would be fresh and it would be new. I know that your spirit always wants to give new revelation, but not just for knowledge's sake, but that we'd be transformed in the image of Jesus. Even now, Lord, we pray that you drive out anything, any distractions, the cares of the day, even cares we brought in here, Lord, and just um, sanctify this time, uh, sanctify and anoint uh, this uh, section of text and use it uh, for our edification and our strength and our uh, just endurance in you, Lord. Uh, touch and use me tonight for your glory, but I pray that you would touch and minister to each and every person that is here. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, as I mentioned, we want to give a little bit of background so you, and it's going to be a decent amount tonight, just to kind of uh, make sure that you uh, have your bearings as we go through uh, this book. Some background, as I mentioned. Uh, this book was to be read, if you go to the fourth chapter, uh, you don't have to go there, but uh, in the fourth chapter, which is the closing uh, salutation there in chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, Paul also says that this book is also to be read in Laodicea. That name sound familiar to anybody? Laodicea? So Jesus would also speak to the seven churches of Asia, Laodicea being that lukewarm church that he would speak to. But uh, Paul, when he writes this, uh, not only Colossae, but Laodicea, he said, make sure that uh, it's also read over there. Now, Paul, as he does in his other epistles, uh, he identifies himself here as the author uh, in the opening greeting. And some of the early church fathers, including Arrhenius and Tertullian and Origen, they also confirm others as well, but uh, they confirm Paul as the author of Colossians. Uh, Colossae, mentioned here in verse 2, it was a city in the Roman province of Asia. Now, today when we think of Asia, we think of uh, often the Middle East. Matter of fact, a lot of times when you think of Asia, you don't even think of the Middle East. You think of China and India and Indonesia and those areas. And, and of course, all of that is the massive expanse of the largest continent in the world, uh, Asia. But uh, at that time, uh, Asia was really thought of as right there in modern-day Turkey. And so that Roman province uh, there, uh, and I got a little... Make sure we're on here. Yep. Make sure we can 
We'll, uh, if you're taking notes, again, this will be our title tonight, Thankful for Faith, which we'll close in. But I've got a map here that you can take a look at so you kind of orient where uh, Colossae is. And you can see that uh, it's about 120 miles, and my laser works, Ephesus is over here. Put sure if I put my glass on, I'm liable to put you in a GNC or something like that. One second. All right, here we go. All right, so Ephesus is right here. And if you were in our study, you know, we just finished the book of Ephesus. Ephesus is 120 miles to the west, right? So that would be like looking towards California if you're over there, right? So looking to the west, Ephesus, 120 miles to the west of Colossae. Uh, and Ephesus was a port city, whereas Colossae was uh, a river city. So there was a river coming through there. It sits, uh, Ephesus was at the um, base of Mount Cadmus. Mount Cadmus rose 8,000 feet above the city. So it's just a beautiful backdrop to the city. But there in the valley, the Lysus River came through there. And so the city uh, was adjacent to the Lysus River. Uh, Colossae, you see it there. Uh, I've got it circled. Colossae was part of a triad of cities, and the other two being Laodicea, which we already mentioned, which would be uh, very close, about 12 miles to the west, and then Heropolis, which was 12 miles also to the northwest. So the three of them, uh, three cities, a triad of cities, uh, Colossae, um, the southernmost of those three. But in the 5th century B.C., Colossae was a prominent city, so go way back, five centuries before the time of Christ. Colossae was a prominent a city of trade and influence. Uh, the Persian king Xerxes uh, was in power during that time. And for many years, it had been a point of intersection. So if you were traveling on the main trade route uh, heading east-west or north-south through that part of Asia or modern-day Turkey, uh, that trade route gave it a, a prominence because it was sitting right at the, the center of that. Uh, but it was also well known for its own products. Uh, locally, uh, they produced black wool and red wool that were actually, uh, they would take the dyes that they would get from the local chalk deposits, and those chalk deposits, they had various colors, and they were able to make black wool, red wool, and Colossae became very wealthy and prosperous because of its uh, place on these trade routes, but also some of its own uh, ingenuity and entrepreneurship around its own products and things that it had to produce. By the time of Paul's day, so you know that's 500 BC and all the way up until the time of Christ. By the time Paul's day comes along, and you're talking, you know, well after you know, 30, uh, 40 years, or you're talking at this time, 60, 62 AD, Colossae was a functioning. Roman city, uh, but its prominence had started to fade. It was not the prominent city it once was. The main route that had gone through Colossae had been moved up, and now it went through where? Laodicea. Laodicea, well, Laodiceans were really, really proud of uh, the place that they had achieved in the world, and uh, when Jesus writes them, they, they were doing quite well financially, as you know, were rich and all of that good stuff. So Laodicea became the more prominent of the three cities, Heropolis was prominent as well, both being more prominent at that time than Colossae. They were both cities on the rise, if you will. The population of Colossae was majority Gentiles and likely fairly diverse. Uh, some Greeks, some people uh, that would be from Phrygia and areas around there, 
uh, majority was Gentiles, but also had a significant Jewish population. That wasn't uncommon. Almost all the cities Paul went to had a synagogue and significant Jewish population. But uh, particularly in this part of the world, uh, the Jewish population, we know it dated all the way back to Antiochus the Great, and he was a Greek king of the Hellenistic. Uh, he had actually re-expanded much of the empire that Alexander the Great had established, although he never really got back establishing much on the European side. But on the Asian side, all the way over to India, down through Palestine, uh, all the way down to, um, uh, to Saudi Arabia, all of those areas, he had re-established all that. Uh, and he had resettled two thousand Jewish families from Babylonia over to what would be central modern-day Turkey. Uh, Two thousand families, not just the central, but all the way over to the eastern part uh, near Ephesus. Um, now, if you remember from our study in Ephesians, Paul spent three years in Ephesus, right? Three years in Ephesus. He was the pastor of the church. Uh, he was mentoring. He was discipling. He was building up other leaders. He was strengthening the local church and the broader church, not just the local church, but the things that were done there uh, would actually impact the church well beyond that region. It's believed that he wrote, what, when Paul was at Ephesus, it's believed that he wrote the letters of Galatians and Corinthians while he was there in that three-year period in Ephesus. Now, the impact of Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus was likely... And we don't know this definitively, but that's likely when the church at Colossae was birthed. When Paul was in Ephesus, it's likely that that's when Colossae was birthed. Now you can see, obviously, on the map, Ephesus is here. You only got to go 120 miles, and there you are in Colossae. But not only there, uh, Laodicea, there's other churches that would have been in that same region. Now, speaking of the expanse and the impact of Paul's time in Ephesus, Luke records in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, and maybe you've read this and it, you saw it and it, it stuck out in your mind. Luke wrote, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, that wasn't Asia all the way over to China, but that was, again, that part of the world was known as Asia. So Paul had such an impact in that ministry in Ephesus that virtually all of that area of Turkey Everyone had heard about Jesus. Somehow, some way, the gospel had gone out, and, and many people had heard the gospel uh, personally. It appears that disciples uh, there in the church of Ephesus uh, either went out and planted, uh, well, we know that they went out and planted various churches. So whether one of those disciples that went out and planted churches went and planted uh, this one in Colossae, uh, we're not quite sure. Some scholars, uh, based on Colossians 2.1, if you look at the uh, chapter 2, verse 1 for just a second there, some scholars don't think Paul ever went to Colossae. I'll give you my opinion on that in just a second for what little it's worth. Uh, Colossae two, uh, Colossians 2.1, uh, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you, for those in Laodicea, and as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Uh, so many scholars uh, take this and to say that Paul himself never went to Colossae, but we know that many disciples likely went out and churches were planted. There's no definitive answer, uh, but in my view, based on 
references of Paul's travels throughout Phrygia mentioned in Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 18. You can look them up yourself, Acts 16 and 18, where it mentions Paul traveling the whole region of Phrygia, which would include Colossae. Uh, I also think the language and the tone of Paul's writing to nearby Laodicea uh, in the book of Philemon. And lastly, I believe his wording here in Colossians 2.1 uh, leads me, again, I'm not, I'm not dogmatic on this, but I tend to believe that Paul had been to Colossae at least once or a couple of times, even if it was just passing through and had met some faces. So look what he says. Uh, he says here, as many as have not seen me in the flesh. To me, that would be my, like I had passed through here 10 years ago. I met 10 of you, and then uh, I'm gone for seven, eight, nine years, and I write back. Those, are, those of you I never met, that to me is the wording. But again, uh, I'm not basing it just on that verse. Some of the other things that, uh, that, that I mentioned in Acts and, uh, and Philemon. But uh, the most likely person, so if Paul uh, had been there, but I do agree with those that think he didn't plant the church. I, I don't believe that Paul was the one that planted the church. Usually we have a lot of strong evidence when Paul planted the church, and there's not, and not, not much in that realm, and Paul doesn't ever seem to in any way um, make the point that uh, when I established the church there and when I got there, and he doesn't, see, he doesn't say any of those type of things, that there's none of that kind of verbiage. Uh, so if Paul didn't plant the church, uh, the most likely person is also found here in the first chapter. Drop down, we're not going to study this part of the text tonight, but drop down to verse 7, and Paul mentions this gentleman by name, as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Now, he mentions Epaphras again in the fourth chapter, uh, talks about the fact that Epaphras uh, is going to stay and hang out with Paul for a while. Now, Epaphras is likely the pastor of the church in Colossae. And Paul cites that he's a faithful minister. So Paul identifies him as someone dedicated to the teaching and the discipleship of the saints, a faithful minister to you all on Christ's behalf, the same way that Paul, Timothy, Paul says, uh, and Timothy, his kind of his understudy future, kind of the, the, the pastor that would then lead other pastors after Paul would be gone. But if Epaphras founded the church, uh, he, more, um, he more than likely uh, had either visited Ephesus when Paul was at Ephesus, remember that three-year period. So either Epaphras had left Colossae, maybe on a business trip, maybe to get someone over to the port there. Epaphras had more than likely left Colossae, come to Ephesus for a visit, and got saved and converted, or he was from Ephesus got saved, and then was sent out to Colossae. One of the two is the likely scenario. Uh, and then he would have returned to Colossae if he was from there uh, or gone there for the first time and led others to Christ and then started a, probably a small home church, which is the way virtually all of them started, and uh, would be a missionary or a church planter. In either case, Paul, he had left Ephesus five to six years earlier than from right here when he's writing. So as Paul's writing this in, in our time frame, you see, if I had 
been at a, if I had visited a church six years ago, and I'm talking about 2018, then I'm talking about back around 2012, 2011, something like that. So Paul had left Ephesus uh, about five or six earlier. The church in Colossae, given that Paul was there three years, would have been somewhere between seven and nine years old, seven and nine years old, roughly, uh, per that Ephesus ministry. Now, sometime, sometime during this ministry, uh, during this period. As the church, now think again, so five to six year period, Paul has left Ephesus. He's not there. Colossae is growing. Ephesus is still growing, but they're two separate places, 120 miles apart. Church in Colossae is growing. Somewhere in that time, during that five to six year period, as the church appears to be growing, souls are being saved. Paul says here, to the saints, plural, faithful brethren, plural, who are in Colossae, grace and peace to you. We, th- we give thanks to God, praying always for When you heard your face, so Paul's like, there, there's, a, there's a vibrant congregation there. There's a plurality of people. People have come to faith. Uh, somewhere during this period, as the church is being uh, built up and established and lives are being transformed, during this same time, that five to six year period, all of a sudden, start, things start to seep into the church. A little bit of false teaching, a little bit of this guy's teaching something, a little bit someone else brought something in. Some false teaching, the adoption of the law starts to creep back in. Some people start coming in, probably uh, those that were, uh, you know, grew up very staunchly Jewish synagogue. Hey, we need to, our diet's got to change. You know, we we got to change this diet. Remember, Galatia saw this as well. Other churches had seen this. The diet has to change. Uh, we got to get back to certain feasts. We, if we're not celebrating these, we can't be saved. All of these things. But, uh, but, but more than just, it wasn't just the Jewish uh, elements and things that were under the law that were coming in. Things that would later become known as Gnosticism were also coming in. So there was a mysticism. Uh, all these different things were starting to creep into the church. And so this uh, amalgamation, if you will, of legalism, law, Gnosticism, all these different things that, that were replacing the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ and the purity of faith in Jesus Christ and beginning to make it somewhat works-based, a little bit of paganism. These kind of things were starting to come in. And given uh, the location, the history of Colossae, given the diverse culture and religious mix of Colossae that was likely there, uh, we know that there was other temples and an Acropolis there. Uh, and bottom line, Satan's very similar efforts in other churches and other cities. Galatia and Ephesus both come to mind. Paul doesn't seem, when you read this, Paul doesn't seem that surprised by it. His response is not near of the freaking out that we might expect. I'm not saying he's, he's not happy with it at all. He doesn't seem as surprised by it, but he's no doubt very disappointed by it, right? I mean, if you're saved long enough, you see weird things crop up, right? And after a while, you're no longer that surprised by it, but you're certainly not happy about it either, right? You do see weird things. You do see people adopting things, and you do see it. You're not that surprised. I'm not saying that we should become cynical and jaded. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that you start to realize that there's a real enemy that always tried to to subvert the real thing. Amen? Amen. 
It's always going to happen. And so Paul doesn't seem that surprised, but he certainly is disappointed. And yet he's determined. You can be disappointed and yet determined at the same time. And yet he's determined by the Spirit to reestablish Jesus Christ and Christ alone at the center, which we sang earlier, right? To reestablish Jesus at the center of the church and to reestablish at the faith of these saints because some of these people are saved and just being carried away, and some of them are not saved at all. Some of them are actually wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, remember, Jesus told the apostles, don't start ripping everybody up because you'll actually tear up what? The wheat with the chaff. But Paul says this letter should do a distilling of who is who. I'm going to start to write this letter, and when you get there, you read it. It's going to make real clear who's on this side, who's on this side, and start differentiating who is saved, who is lost, who is being misled, and who's doing the misleading, if you will. But Epaphras, now Epaphras, he's, he's come to Rome here. He's so deeply troubled by what's taken place. Now, he's the pastor, as best we can tell. He's the pastor of the church. He's so deeply troubled by what's taking place He's traveled the long journey to Rome. This was not like a three-hour flight, right? Yeah, I just need to get to Paul real quick and have a discussion and zip back. It's a long journey from Colossae to Rome. He's come all the way there to see Paul face-to-face, to get advice, to get encouragement, to pray, to fill Paul in what's transpired, how this has happened, how it kind of started. The irony is that Paul is in prison, and yet Paul is willing and available to build up Epaphras and strengthen this pastor and help this church however the Lord can use him from prison. By the way, if you could get to the Apostle Paul, you'd get more help from him in prison than you'd get from a thousand men outside of prison. If you guys ever go off the rails, I don't have an Apostle Paul to go to, just so you know, so... Um, I'm not extenuating that or expecting that. I'm just, just kidding. Well, you know, but it is good that all pastors have mentors. You guys know I, I have guys like Sam Nadler I can pick up the phone and call and, you know, uh, Tony Evans and Troy Warner who will be co-leading our trip to Israel. And so it's good to have men in your life. And, and obviously Epaphras was deeply impacted by the ministry of Paul, as was Timothy, as was Titus, as was many. But he came all the way there because he's like, i, I got to see Paul face to face. I need to hear from his mouth what should we do? How should we handle this? How should we attack back what Satan is doing? I'm pretty sure, though, even as Epaphras wants to be built up and he, he, he wants the help, I'm pretty sure that Epaphras is also intent on showing some love and refreshing Paul at the same time. He didn't come all that way only to get... Matter of fact, when you go somewhere, if you need something, always bring something to the table too. I'm not saying bring cash, but I'm saying bring... uh, bring, At least bring a good attitude. At least bring... You know, some sort of hug. At least bring something that says, I'm not here just to drain you. I mean, that's just good advice in life. I think Epaphras did not only come to get what he needed, but he also came to refresh. And the reason I believe that, um, Paul seems to indicate, uh, he says, Epaphras, who's come on your behalf, and uh, as he's come here, you know, we're so thankful for all the things that are taking place 
I really believe that Epaphras uh, came and also ministered to Paul as best. And, and they knew that when, when you visited a saint in, in a Roman prison, uh, they couldn't get out of the prison, but you could bring food, you could bring clothing, those kind of things. So I believe he, without question, the faithful saints, because Paul mentions there's clearly a block of faith, faithful believers in Colossae. Those saints, I believe, said, hey, I know you're going there. Here's the deacons and elders. I know you're going there and you're going to meet with Paul and you're going to get a lot of good wisdom and you're going to get some help for us, but take this stuff for Paul too. Uh, here's, some, here's some things that we want him to have. Uh, bless him while you're at it. And so it's always a good thing. Uh, I know that men that uh, have invested in my life and I know that people that invest in your life, you appreciate the investment they make in you, but you want to do something, you know, maybe bake a cake for them or do something. Just say thank you. So I think Epaphras certainly was there also to bless Paul, but, uh, but the situation's pretty serious back there in Colossae. Now, this letter, along with three others, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon, those four, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, they are referred to as the prison epistles. I don't know if you've heard that before, but they are referred to as the prison epistles. Uh, the same eight people are actually mentioned in both Colossians and Philemon. Same eight people, if you study the two, which gives further credence to that proximity of uh, not only because uh, Philemon was uh, headed back to his church, which was Laodicea, uh, the proximity and the context of these writings. As I mentioned, uh, this period is 60 to 60 A.D., so they were written between 60 and 60 A.D. Uh, during Paul's first Roman imprisonment. His last Roman imprisonment, he would be martyred for the faith, but this was his first Roman imprisonment. Uh, he mentions his chains twice uh, in his closing exhortation in chapter 4, and he also mentions in chapter 4 that Aristarchus is his fellow prisoner, so another uh, faithful believer there, Aristarchus. Uh, it's believed that Paul wrote, and perhaps simultaneously, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon, uh, earlier or in the middle of that time frame, that two-year period. So go to the early parts, you know, the first year or so to the middle. Uh, it's believed that he possibly wrote all three of them simultaneously, dictating them kind of like all three laying on the same table. Say, write this to Philemon, write this to Colossae, write this to Ephesus. We don't know that to be uh, certain, but uh, there are reasons to believe that they may have been written uh, kind of simultaneously or synchronous in some way. Then closer to the end of his two years in prison, it's believed that he finally wrote Philippians, closer to the end of that two-year period. Uh, this is based on Paul saying in Philippians chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, that Paul states that he thought he would soon know the result of his case and that he was expecting to be released very soon and return to the churches. So that's why many believe that uh, Philippians was the last of those four written in the prison epistles, and I tend to agree with that as well, that, uh, that it does appear that that was written near the tail end. Um, isn't it good when God gives you a faith that something's about to happen? So Paul wrote Philippians saying, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident I'm going to get this one more letter out the door and I'm out the door. Now, let me ask, 
everyone a question. So Paul's in prison, 80, 60, 80, 62 range, two full years. How many of you would like to spend the next two full years, all of 2018 and all of 2019 in jail? Or a local prison, whatever, whatever you think is more comfortable. The local county jail, state penitentiary, federal jail. How many of you would like to spend the next two years in a jail cell? And not for committing a crime, but for serving Jesus. And by the way, our brothers and sisters, many of them around the world are going through this right now. For two full years, if this was you or me, no going to church. You might, if you complain about church right now, but then you were in jail for two years, you would not complain about church anymore. Imagine that. People that complain that they, ah, can't believe I'm going to get the kids to church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to teach it. You spend two years in jail, and church would seem amazing, wouldn't it? You're like, why did I ever think those padded chairs were such a bad deal? <laughs> For two full years, no going to church, no going through a Starbucks drive through sitting down there with a friend, no reading a book on the couch, no sleeping in your own bed, no dinner or your favorite meals, no hanging out with the family, no ongoing leisure activities, no going for a walk, no going for a run, no freedom, no freedom of movement. Can you imagine? Paul was literally chained a lot of this time on top of it all. This happened to Paul, and the Lord 100% allowed it, didn't he? Not because Paul was living in sin, no, Christ allowed this even though Paul endeavored, I mean strived, to serve and please the Lord with every aspect of his life. True? And here he is in jail for it. But the fact that Paul wrote four letters while there, letters of love, letters of encouragement, letters of correction, letters of doctrine, Truth, setting things straight while enduring the difficulty, pain, the loneliness of prison should encourage us and actually give us hope. Hear me out on that. What if we came to understand, brother and sister, that even in really bad circumstances, hard times, things we really, I mean, cannot get our head around at all, understand in our life that if our eyes still just stayed fixed on Jesus, we can actually find a peace that defies human logic. That we can actually grow in joy. You think you can grow in joy in prison? Paul, Paul proves you can. He's not special or unique. He's just there for us to say, wow, God, this is, this is really doable. Just like his conversion, by the way, was to show that Anybody could be saved. His sanctification, the way he walked out his faith, was also a similar thing, just to show us, hey, what God did through Paul, he could do through anyone else. That we could grow in joy there. That we could grow in faith. And at the exact same time, while we're growing in spite of, you know, right now, your grass, my grass, it looks like it's dying. It's actually not. The roots are going deeper. 
snow, cold air. You, you can't see what's going on beneath the surface, but God says, no, they're actually going down. They actually, they're smarter than us sometimes. A little piece of grass. At the exact same time that, that Paul was growing in joy and growing in faith, at the same time, he and we can be simultaneously used to help and strengthen others while seeing the lost come to Christ even, all during that time. See, Paul, and, and I, I hope in my next 40 years I learn a lot what, what Paul has come to know, and literally not just be able to preach it, but like just breathe it. You know what I mean? Paul had truly learned peace and peace of mind and the power of God. And contentment. He said God, godliness and contentment is great gain. He had learned that. In all he had learned that and how God chooses to use him, or in our case, us, regardless of the circumstances. So much so that Paul's impact was strategically greater, precisely due to him being in prison. Let me say that again. His impact was strategically greater. You know when something is strategic, right, it's really well designed, right? You say, well, that was really strategic. God is very strategic, right? He's put us at 11900 Genito for a strategic reason, some which I kind of see, some which I don't understand yet. He's Giving you your number of kids strategically, your kids are either going to be arrows in the hand of a mighty man, which they should be, or Satan has a strategy too. He's also strategic, isn't he? On the bad side, right? But Paul's impact was strategically greater precisely because he was in prison, although I'm sure Paul didn't say, hey, Lord, when I get saved, I would love to spend some time in jail, <laughs> if it's strategic, of course, you know. In his writing to the Philippians, uh, which is the book to the left in your Bible, in his writing to the Philippians, he says, Paul says that the witness of Christ had reached the entire palace guard. That was Rome's elite troops there in Rome. The entire palace guard. He says all of them, all of them had heard the gospel. That's pretty cool. Imagine the entire secret service hearing the gospel. Everyone in the Secret Service here. I'm not talking about some passing view of it. They observed Paul and they were convinced this guy is here because of Jesus Christ. They understood. Also, while he was there for that two year period, the church in Rome all of a sudden became far more bold and confident. People started visiting Paul in jail. Like, he was doing more on Thursday afternoon checkpoints than many people do in a pulpit and sending people back out fired up. They're like, I'm going to witness finally. That kind of stuff was taking place. And finally, in his salutation, he says that the very members, this is pretty amazing, the very members of Caesar's household had come to faith. We don't know how many, but some. For By the way, we, we got a lot of people that hate certain politicians in this country. Just pray for them. Did you know God wants to save the people that other people hate? 
You know, a couple of years ago, oh, some people hated Obama. Hated Obama. And other people, oh, I hate Trump. Or, hey, yeah. God doesn't hate either of these gentlemen, by the way, or Hillary, or this person, or that person. But, matter of fact, he wants to save people in their household, including them. Including them. By the way, if some of these folks got saved, lots of really cool things would take place, right? We all agree on that, right? But in Caesar's household, by the way, Caesar made our presidents look like child's play. If you think that today's people are tyrannical or off their rails or hate Christians, you haven't seen the Roman. Go study the Roman Caesars. Did not want to be under their thumb. But Paul, there's no evidence that that time that Caesar came to know the Lord, but members of Caesar's household did. Isn't that pretty cool? People in the family came to Christ. They probably lost their lives for it, but nevertheless, uh, they had a home in heaven. All of this uh, because Paul was there. Now, circumstances aside, when the focus of our life is to glorify Christ. Again, circumstance aside, that's easier said than done, I know. Really, we, can, we hardly can ever say circumstance aside because we still feel them, right? But this happens in the inner man. I'm talking about deep in your spirit. You're able to say, I'm not feeling this, but I know the circumstances have to be cast aside. Circumstances aside, when the focus of our life is Christ, it'll change our view on everything else. It's going to change our view. It takes a little time, but it will change our view. It's like kind of taking the binoculars. At first, when you look at them, they're as blurry as can be, right? Start to do this, start to do this, start to do Finally, they come into focus, right? When you focus on Jesus at the very first, you're like, oh, these binoculars don't work, right? Well, how long did you have them up there? Eighth of a second. That's your kids, right? They don't work, you know. Got to let them focus a little bit, right? Focus on Christ. Everything else will come into view. And this is our calling in life, to keep our eyes on the Lord and to push people to him, to give glory to him. I love the statement from Dr. Charles Stanley. He says, we exist to glorify God, not the other way around. Exist to glorify God, not the other way around. Paul was not in it for his glory. He was always in it to glorify God. Now, Paul's willingness to glorify God is what got him in jail, but it's also why we're still reading this book tonight. Isn't that amazing? Paul's willingness to glorify God is why we're studying Colossians, because if he wasn't there, there is no Colossians. The very reason that we're being discipled by it tonight, or we're being taught by it. We're, in essence, being taught by Paul the same way as the people in the Roman church. They, they got the same stuff. They just got it verbally, but we're getting it in letter form. But understand and be encouraged by one other facet of Paul's imprisonment. It was a season. It was a season. It was two years. It was a season. Paul certainly welcomed and was looking forward to being set free. I mean, we're not uh, oblivious when we're in storms. The apostles you know, were that way. I mean, Jesus, you know, when are we getting out of this? Or will we get out of this, right? Paul certainly looked forward to being set free, but he was patient and seeing fruit during that period. He was patient and allowing that fruit to form during the period, not waiting till it was over to see fruit, uh, seeing fruit then. Caesar's household was then. The guards were then. 
helping Epaphras was them. Speaking to people in the Roman church coming in and out was them, not future, although that would have a future impact as well. He sensed in his spirit, as I mentioned earlier from Philippians, that, that he would soon see relief from this season. And yet he could still thrive in the current season. Does that minister to anyone here? You might sense that, well, this season, and maybe the Holy Spirit starts to give you a sense that this season's going to end. And just claim that. When the Holy Spirit starts to speak that through a verse or verses, plural, and you say, Lord, I'm, I'm just counting that that season's going to come to an end. But until it comes to an end, say, Lord, I want to bear fruit in this season right now. Brother and sister, you may be in that season, although it's not a literal prison. Thank, thanks for, for that. But some things in life feel like a prison for people. But like Paul and like Joseph and Jeremiah way further back, he focused on the faithfulness of God. That's what Joseph focused on. Oh, Lord, I'm supposed to rule someday. Uh, did you notice I'm in a pit? Did you notice I'm in jail? Jeremiah, do you notice I'm in a human waste sewer? This is a lovely place that I've uh, found myself in. These guys understood, but they focused on the faithfulness of God. And we have to do the same. We have to believe that he can settle us now and use us now. Did you hear that? can settle us now and use us now while readying us for the future. Isn't it great that God hits all those targets at one time? can settle us now, use us now, even when we feel unusable and unsettleable. I know that's not a word, but it just became one. Um, and ready us for the future. In today's world and Twitter, you can make up any word you want. And I love it now, you know, because <laughs> now you can make words up and you can hashtag them, whatever you want to do. You just said the way, of, the way it is now. And God wants to get us ready in these seasons for the future steps, because what he's doing now is important now, but it's going to be equally and perhaps even more important in the next seasons to come. Victor Raymond Edmonds said, delay never thwarts God's purpose, rather it polishes his instrument. Delay doesn't, doesn't thwart God's purpose, rather it polishes the instrument. It, uh, in other words, that arrow is more ready with a little more time of preparation. In the delay, here's, here's my prayer for all of us. In the delay, let us be delivered long before deliverance. Let us be delivered long before deliverance. So Paul was delivered before the jail door opened because deliverance happens where? Up here and in here. That's where Once Paul had peace there, it didn't matter to him. He, you, you put me in here, the church is going to grow. You put me out there. He's better than the, the, the crime syndicates in or out of the jail, right? You know, you know they kind of run the, they run the mob from the jail, or they can run it out on the street. <laughs> Paul could run the church inside. He could run the church outside, you know, kind of, so to speak. I don't know, maybe that's a bad analogy. But anyway, you see. <laughs> but let us be delivered long before deliverance. Let us be delighted before we see light at the end of the tunnel. Delighted, delight yourself in the Lord. Taste and see, as we looked at last week, the Lord is good. Delighted before we see light at the end of the tunnel. And work in the Spirit 
work in the Spirit while we wait. One thing I've been studying a lot in the last several months is every single place in Scripture where God comes to people and their faith is wavering, their knees are knocking, this, that, and the other, always he gives them something to do. Always gives them something to do and someone to be. Something to do and someone to be. You, you're, you're, someone to be is a son or daughter of Jesus. That's all you're called to be more than anything else. And you do that, you'll fulfill all the other roles. Husband, father, sister, brother, teacher, whatever it is, parent, all of those things. But first, something to be, something to do. And then Moses said, what, what's in your hand? All I know is shepherding. Great. I'm going to take your shepherding skills and you're going to transform the people. Right? Gives us something to do. Paul, even he couldn't write, he could still preach. So he's dictating. Hey, Aristarchus, start writing. I got a letter to write. Colossians needs to hear this. Philippians, they need to hear this, right? People are coming in. So God will give us something to do, but it has to be done in the Holy Spirit. So if we're not in the Word and we're not in prayer, then of course none of that's going to work. But if we're in the Word, we're in prayer, we're focused on the Lord, He'll give us something to do while we wait. Joseph did this. He's in jail, so he can't get out of jail. What does he do? I'm going to be the best possible prisoner. He knocked it out of the park, right? Eventually he's running the show down there, right? Simply do those things that we can do. Don't focus. The other thing I, I was discipling some men recently, I said, look, don't focus on the things you can't do. Focus on what you can do. Well, what can it? Well, I can pray. All right, do it. I can read the Word. All right, do it. I can go serve in this way. Do it. Focus. Paul focused on what he could do. He obviously couldn't visit Colossae, but he could write Colossae, right? While rejoicing... Paul talks about this a lot at the end of a lot of his letters. While rejoicing in the Lord, don't focus on those things that can't be done. Do like Paul. You can still encourage someone. That's what he's doing to Epaphras. Epaphras is coming there. Yes, Epaphras might have brought some goods. Here's some red wool. Here's some black wool. Here's some food. Here's some... Oh, now i got to tell you what's going on, right? And Paul is there to encourage him. You can still encourage someone. No matter how bad you have it, someone else has it worse. Hard to believe that. I know we can't believe that. It's hard for us to get our arms around that. But it's really true. Someone else needs your encouragement. Someone else needs your love. Paul would do that. Paul's the one in prison, and yet he's encouraging all out in four different directions. Not because he's superhuman, but because he just keeps spending time with Jesus. Remember, our Christian life is not natural. It's supernatural. We actually need the Holy Spirit. We don't just have this dove up here because it looks cool but because we need the Holy Spirit in our life. If I couldn't, you, you can't live the Christian life just by a bunch of wording. It has to actually be Spirit-breathed in our life, the work of the Spirit in our life. Now, our last few minutes as we come to close, I want to close with the intentional direction and source of thanks in, uh, in our life in relation to faith, just in these last couple of verses here. Um, that we only read four verses, but notice, I just want to draw your attention as we uh, wrap things up. And again, tonight was mostly about having an overview so you understand why was this letter written? Where was it written? Where was the heart in Paul in writing it? How did it come about? And, and hopefully that stays back as a backdrop uh, as we go through the book and, and you understand we did the same thing when we started Ephesians. But he says, again, he's an apostle by the will of God. Paul didn't make himself an apostle. No one did. 
Jesus said, you 12. <laughs> they had no idea that he was going to ever choose them. Paul certainly, he said he was one born out of due time because he wasn't even in the same time period as the other apostles. But he was grabbed on that road to Damascus. He says in verse 2, to the faithful brethren in Christ. Um, he's clearly speaking to the remnant. If there is a remnant, there is a faithful group there to the faithful brethren. He doesn't identify who it is because he doesn't know which ones are faithful. Even in our own church, uh, you know, we might have somebody in the church that's still not saved. I don't know that. But I know that we have faithful saints. So when we say, you assume the best of all, that's the way Paul's writing it. He's assuming the best to the faithful saints, whoever you may be. But he knows they're there. He knows there's faithful saints. He knows that there's some that names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And to them and to us, we need the next piece, grace and peace. You need a lot of grace and peace in your life. Amen? However much grace you and I think we need, uh, quadruple it, quintuplet it, or whatever. You know, just keep adding zeros on the end. We need a lot of grace, and we need a lot of peace, don't we? Prince of peace. We need to be drenched with peace. And where does it come from? From God our Father. That's why I have up here to and from. The from is always from God. The reason we're thankful is because God's already lavished, right? He's already kind of opened up the spigots and poured out. We're, we're just putting our cup underneath, if you will. We give thanks, verse 3, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've circled thanks here in my Bible. Thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. By the way, when you're thankful for people, you'll pray for them more. The more you thank God for people, you're going to pray for them. You'll remember them more. You won't, oh, I never, I said I'd pray for you 10 years ago. I still haven't. But since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, and I just want to, as we wrap this up, our salvation at saving faith, it always starts with God, right? For God so loved. And Jesus said, you didn't seek me. I, I, I came and sought you. It starts with God. And since our salvation starts with God, guess what else starts with God? Our thanksgiving starts with God. Because when we know our salvation started with him, then the first response of our prayer life, of our walking throughout, is to say, thank you, God, a lot. And that's what Paul's saying. First and foremost, before I get into addressing the issues, I just want to thank God first that you're saved. And you know, sometimes when you're annoyed with people, first thank God that they're saved. Especially if they're a Christian and they, well, they stepped on my spiritual toes. Just first thank God that they're saved. Paul's like, I'm in prison. I don't really need this headache right now, right? <laughs> Y'all need to be doing a good job over there in Colossae. But he doesn't say any of that, does he? He's patient and loving with them. He says, look, first of all, I'm just glad you're saved. And hopefully you're all saved. And hopefully you just have had a bad year. And, and Paphras is going to get over it and get back there and do well, right? <laughs> but if God doesn't open our eyes, and if he doesn't send Jesus, and he doesn't send the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't provide enough faith because actually... We actually need God to give us faith. We pray for faith. Yes, we have to have a saving faith to first get saved, but we need a lot of God giving us faith too. Then we have no hope, right? So Paul says, I'm thankful most of all that God has done his part, and he's, he's established that little church in Colossae. You guys are established. You have sound faith, those of you that are saved. You're growing. I'm thankful for all that, and I'm not focused right now on what's going wrong. I'm focused first on what's going right. And that's what he focuses on first. And this is Paul's reflection. His thanks ascends up to God because of the amazing grace and the work of faith from God. So he's thankful. He's like, look, I'm just glad Epaphras is here. I remember when, He might remember when Epaphras wasn't saved. Epaphras, you were such a knucklehead there when I first met you, right? 
But now look at you. You care for these people. You are there for these people. You've come all the way to Rome for these people, right? So he's thankful for that. And faith and thanks in our life are a perpetual cycle. When we have faith, we start to have more thanks. When we have thanks, we have more faith. When we have thanks, you, you see, I'm getting mixed up, but you get on me. They're, they're starting, they, they become intertwined. Faith breeds thanks, and thanks breeds faith. Because then we're thankful for faith. If you ever have grown in faith, you'll be really thankful. Like, wow, I can't believe I start to believe that God can do this now. You'll be thankful for just that thought. You say, wow, that's, Lord, that comes from you. Because you know you can't manufacture it. You can only receive it. Does that make sense? You can't manufacture it. God says, you wait on me and I'll grow your faith and I'll even grow your thanks. And faith begets more faith. Thanks begets more thanks, and both beget each other as well. They're all spiritual in nature. And we'll come to the place where we're thankful for our faith, but we're also, like Paul, thankful for the faith of other people. We're really thankful that other people are saved. We're really thankful that they've been transformed, even in spite of their flaws. And then we look at the mirror and we say, well, I got a lot too. So I can be really patient with them. Now just look to the left, and, and this is our last thing. Look to the left in Philippians. It should be the opposite page in many of your Bibles, uh, but it may be one page over. Chapter 4, you know, he wrote both these books from the same prison cell. You know chapter 4 well, starting verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but everything in prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, again, it's, it's, it's outside of our comprehension how God can do this, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, this just wiped out two-thirds of the cable TV channels. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Well, the more Paul meditated on these kind of things, the more the prison cell kind of melted away. That's, he wasn't preaching something that everyone else should go try out. He was preaching something he had tried out and had found out that God had lifted him out. Amen? That's what happened. He thanks God for what he's already done, and we need to thank him for what he will be doing, and thank God before you can see it. Meditate and start now to believe it, and patiently wait until you receive it. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for these truths that were manifest in the life of... Paul was a man just like us, as, as James wrote that Elijah was a man like us. And we know that, Lord, what you've done for the saints of old, what you did for Paul, you want to do for us. You want to, what you did for Epaphras, what you did for Timothy, what you did for the church at Colossae, what you did for Ephesus, you want to do these things for us. And Lord, we just ask even now, Lord, forgive us at those times when we're not so thankful. Forgive us when we jump the gun and, and Lord, we're focused on the wrong things. Forgive us, Lord, when we're not just simply keeping our eyes on you and focusing on the things you've put in our hands to do. And Lord, may we do them rejoicing as we go, believing and strengthen our faith. In this room, Lord, we pray that you strengthen our faith and our thanksgiving. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.